meow, 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 meow. <laughs> Is that a thing? Is that a thing? Was that a thing from something? Yeah, that's that's like the number one hit from the band Josie and the Pussycats. Is it? <laughs> Is it though? No. I could. I almost believed that it was a play on something. <laughs> You know, it does kind of, what I did, I do think that if there was, like, guitars and drum backing, you would think that it was, like, a rock song from the early aughts. Meow, 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 meow. What was it again? Can you do the syncopation for me? Meow, 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 You know what? I want to say they would have if they could have. If they thought to do it, they would have. Uh, here's the thing. Before we recorded this episode, I put not a small amount of effort into a rendition of Sugar Sugar involving Scooby-Doo references. And I remember, no, that's an Archie song. Are you serious? I've wasted a lot of time here. So, <laughs> so that's not going to feature here. That is an Archie song. That song is so good. I love, I love it. it. I know you love it too, and that's why I was super excited. And not five minutes before we recorded, I realized that I don't... I, it's wrong. It's so wrong. So this is not a podcast about Josie and the Pussycats or Archie. This actually is a podcast sort of about Josie and the Pussycats, but only for this week this episode uh no we're not we're talking about scooby-doo that's our thing really we're we're the scooby dudes we are two best friends we're talking about our favorite meddling kids and their dumb dog too right here this guy who you're listening to this is luke i'm luke crossing is my friend evan evan and we're we're big fans of scooby-doo we love covering episodes from it this is are you still on the end (laughs) (laughs) that's what i want you're listening to the Scooby Dudes, and this is Evan. Welcome to the Scooby Dudes. This is Luke joining you for another podcast episode. I've got my co-host Evan. <laughs> Here with me, we've got uh, another fun episode for you, folks. We're doing the new Scooby Doo movies. Just listen to this episode. <laughs> That's it. I don't know. I don't know what else to say. Two dudes talking about Scooby-Doo. Two dudes just like you. Unless you're a lady. Mm, this show is for ladies too. If you're LGBTQ, we are your Scooby-Doos. So Luke, can you tell me why it has taken so long for us to return to the new Scooby-Doo movies. Uh, yeah, really easily, Evan. We started watching this episode as soon as we finished the last one, and we <laughs> literally just finished both watching it. So now we're ready to talk about it because they're that long. These freaking movies are so long, man. They, uh, I feel like Rip Van Winkle here. What are they, like 45-minute episodes? Oh, my goodness. It's... um. I think before we started airing, let, let's just get this out of the way early. We're saying there's a lot of filler here. It's so much filler. I mean, here's the thing. I mm-hmm. think I think they could cut it down to just like 30 minutes, like flat. So like a, a half hour time slot, no ads. But since they need to pad it out to an hour with ads, there's a lot of scenes that are not are nothing. Yeah, there's a lot of get from point A to point B, point B to point C, and then get from point C to point B so we can stretch things out a little bit more before we end things at D. It's, um, I, we were talking also a little bit before recording about Netflix. I feel like this is the Netflix of Scooby-Doo. Like, there's a lot of filler. There's not a whole lot of thought for, is this worth the time it's taking? 
it uh, it really feels like they just were trying to fill an hour's worth of time with a half hour's worth of content. Despite having a uh, additional, like, what is it, five cast members for this episode? Main characters? Like, you know Friends? Have you, you've seen Friends. I know Friends. I, ha- I have some Friends. The new Scooby-Doo movies is a lot like flashbacks to, to Monica Geller. Hmm. There's a lot of I, padding. N- I now need to... <laughs> Do the embarrassed uh, retraction of shame. I do not know friends that well. Oh, <laughs> I don't know what I, you're talking about. I knew, I knew you weren't going to get yeah, it. I'm sorry, man. No. You know, you're, you're safe with Seinfeld on me and, uh, and not otherwise. Sorry. But what, wait, what is that? Because I think our viewers are loving this right now and they're hating me for shutting that down. Uh, that's literally just the pun. Like, the punchline has been said. Okay. People who know friends no, will like mind. it. Our viewers are on my side. No, they're not. No, no, no they're not. You're right. <laughs> okay. So, uh, um, I think we'll have maybe done some of this in the intro, which we're recording hmm. later. But this is a show that's notable because it's very long. And also because it always has recurring guests. Not recurring, but there, it's, there's also a spot for a, a guest star. A celebrity guest star. This is the predecessor to what will be coming out before too long, Scooby-Doo and Guess Who. And also the predecessor to uh, What's New, Scooby-Doo. Oh, that's right. They also, well... Every episode we've done of What's New, almost every episode of what, that we've done of What's New, has had a celebrity on it. it. It's not like an explicit feature, but it just happens to be, well, I guess a feature of every episode that we've seen there just yet, uh, pretty much. I think the Halloween... No, the Halloween one had Kiss. Yeah, it did. Very notably. That was a good episode. Uh, but but here we are at the new Scooby-Doo movies, and our celebrity guests this time are not, not uncommonly for this era and this series, other Hanna-Barbera properties, especially animated properties, joining us in with their original voice actors. Were they Hanna-Barbera? Did you do any, like, research at all? And, and I will say, I chose this mm-hmm. episode in part because it would really please one of our, I'm going to call them a power listener, even though they've never emailed us, which I think is sort of like... You know, that's sort of like the next tier of listenerdom. But they tweet at us mm. constantly. Not a bad thing. Not um, at all. The, the guest star for this episode, Josie and the Pussycats. Not to be confused with, like, the Josie and the Pussycats that you might recognize from Riverdale. Oh, yeah, I guess that's the latest point of reference. I was going to say the uh, Ots movie when that came out. To Speaking of the Ots movie, this mm. um, so they're, at, they're on Twitter as at make mine amalgam hmm. and they did a thing a little while ago um and they called it josie watch and they watched the josie and the pussycats movie every day for a year what what that's just self that's self-harm actually if you post that on twitter you should get kicked off <laughs> if jack dorsey was paying any attention to anything he would kick people off for that that is that's not healthy what did they what did they experience by then? How did they end their lives at the end of that year? Or during I mean, he's he's still around and he still thinks it's a good movie. So I don't know. I watched that twice in high school, and that was not my opinion after watching it either time. Which does beg the question why the second time, I don't know. I've never seen the whole thing, but I, I have liked the parts that I've seen of it. There are some good parts in it. And there are a lot of things to like about the Josie and the Pussycats cast that we see in this. Uh, for one thing, I just want to note some uh, voice acting talent that's undeniable while watching this. Could I, could I say, I, I don't want to no, cut you off, No, please do. Please cut me off. How many characters does Casey Kasem voice in this episode? I, I don't know. It's so ambiguous. I mean, he voices um, the character of Alexander Cabot. 
Cabot? I've always read I it as Cabot. Um, the, the group's manager, Josie and the Pussycats manager, and he voices him in a virtually an identical way to how he voices Scooby. It's very out shaggy, very, very close. I don't think it's I don't think it's identical. Um, but I wanna say at one point there's a moment where Velma, the voice actor for Velma, voices that character. Where she voices Alexander? Yes, where he's surprised by something, and it's clearly her shout that comes out, and then she has, like, a follow-up line, like, oh, let's run. And it's clearly, clearly, clearly not Casey Kasem. Huh. But who else? I didn't catch anyone else that Casey Kasem was voicing. Who'd you get? It, I, w- I was mostly Alexander, but I feel like one of the other male characters um, was also Casey Kasem. Maybe um, that guy who's trying to buy the showboat. That was Frank Welker playing Lance Goodwin, the uh, apparent gambler who wants to buy the Dixie Queen showboat, which is where the episode largely takes place. Uh, so it seems like those are just the two characters for Shaggy, but there are, there are a lot of comparisons to be made, I think, between Alexander and Shaggy, not just in their voices, but in their characters and how they're presented. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut through, again, there's a lot of filler. I'm going to cut through some of the action so that we can get to Josie and the Pussycats. Uh, coming uh, aboard on screen, whatever. So, as mm. so many episodes of Scooby-Doo start, they're in the mystery machine, they're lost. And this time, we pin the blame on Shaggy. I think we blame Shaggy for his bad directions, No, we want a shortcut, and it took him down the wrong path, but you can't he's, blame he's him. He's not a good navigator. It's not like he can read Greek. That, I, that was a very funny joke, because they're like, Shaggy, it was a great joke. the map is in English, and he's like, well, it's all Greek to me. <laughs> so good. Even so, even that great joke, I gotta say, they kind of pace it out a little longer than they normally would. They're, they're, it does feel, even in those good moments, like they're stretching out content a little bit. And I feel like that's part of what takes the 40 minutes. There's some really interesting details. Um, they are in Mark Twain country. And then it turns out that they're on their way to a Tom Sawyer festival. And now that I'm looking back on this, I find this very fascinating. Okay? Because... because they, they've specified that they're going to a festival. They've specified Mark Twain, which is to say that in the world of Scooby-Doo, he is an he was an actual living person, Samuel Clemens, who mm-hmm. wrote works of fiction. Later on in this episode, it feels like it's not fiction that he's writing. They, I, I'm not sure. I thought later on in this episode, they were experiencing maybe aspects of uh, the Tom Sawyer Festival or something like that. Maybe I, I missed something, but I do want to say uh, there is an, an annual National Tom Sawyer Day in Missouri where this takes place. So that, that kind of premise that they've just kind of, it feels like they pull it out of thin air, is based on something real. So Fred drives Mr. Machine onto like a dock and um, a broken board sort of, uh, I was going to say capsizes them, but the Mr. Machine gets stuck. It like it like yeah seizes up a little bit broken boards you know what i've been i was just making a trope list today i'm going to reveal it to our listeners now um that and i want to add broken board to that what do you think is that worthy no <laughs> <laughs> i think broken board yeah physics with broken boards that's a thing i mean in the past dozen episodes that we've done I can't think of too many broken I've boards. already deleted it. Drop it, man. Let it go. No need to harp. So there's a showboat. It's foggy. They're lost. They decide to go onto the showboat. Uh, they see a group of young people with mm. the conspicu- very conspicuous, like, Scooby-Doo running sound effect. 
Um, yeah. And they all crash into one another. If I didn't know uh, better, I think we were going to see like a shadow version of the gang. Ooh, like a, like the Nega gang. They're running in an identical way, you know, like with that italics lean. Uh, also leading up to this, they have heard g g g ghosts <laughs> I love all the moments uh, where they say g-g-g-g-ghosts, and the follow-ups where Velma is taking it very seriously. And also, right before we introduce uh, the guests, which I think we should do, um, mm. Fred is like peak white character in a horror movie. That's probably just a gust of wind in the smokestack. I mean, throughout this, I have to say, almost everyone is such a killable character in a horror movie. You kind of see the uh, the villains throughout the episode just standing menacingly behind our all of our protagonists. You can almost read on their faces. They're like, I wish I was trying to kill you because it'd be so easy right now. Fred is like the cheerful father who buys a house that had like many serial killings inside of it. <laughs> So we introduce our secondary cast members. They're not a Hanna-Barbera property. If I said that, I was mistaken. They are... Uh, They're Archie Comics characters. Um, but the ser- the animated series from Go- Josie and the Pussycats, which aired in the 70s, was made by Hanna-Barbera. And this is an overlap or a crossover of that series. Uh, with, the Josie, with the gang, Josie and the Pussycats, we've got a few characters. And I gotta say, they're all pretty distinct. They do a pretty good job of making them all feel unique. Yeah, so hit, hit the band and I'll... Uh, we have... Josie McCoy, who is voiced by Janet Waldo, she's red-haired and she's the lead singer. Like everyone else, she wears a leotard that uh, has, I think, cat ears and a tail on it, like a pussycat. Um, We also have Valerie Brown, voiced by Barbara Perriott, and uh, she's the, as Wikipedia tells me, African-American bassist and backup singer. And we have Melody Valentine, the band's drummer and backup singer, a stereotypical dumb blonde. Which I think it does her a little unfair, Wikipedia. She's is that not what dumb. Wikipedia says? What? Is that what Wikipedia says? That is very unfair. Uh, and these characters are played in, in reverse order by Tara Reed, Rosario Dawson, and Rachel something. Wow. My, uh, my cat's ears are off to you, sir, for remembering them and the order. Uh, And who else joins Josie and the Pussycats? Because they've got a lot of groupies and ancillaries. So Alan, I believe, is Josie's boyfriend. So he's just like a kind of next door type. And then there are the siblings, uh, the Cabots. That's how I've always read it, the Cabots. And they're Alexander Hmm. and Alexandra. Alexandra is their manager, not very good, kind of got them into the situation. Alexandra kind of has skunk hair. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, Alexandra is really mean and she's conniving and she's always trying to steal Alan from uh, Josie. Although I don't know that Josie and Alan are together. I think he's uh, probably gay, but uh, she's always trying to steal Alan's affections by being mean to Josie. And I think the real, like you said, the capper that tells us we're really not supposed to like her is the Pepe Le Pew skunk streak of white hair. And and rounding out that group, um, Alexandra has in her possession a pet um a black and white cat named sebastian who for all points and purposes is muttley (laughs) you're so right oh my goodness i didn't realize that watching it i was trying to think who is this and i couldn't think of a cat that sebastian was acting like i kept coming back to sabrina and i'm like no this isn't remotely salem Salem. no like because basically sebastian assists in evil or like petty schemes only to the detriment of the person plotting those schemes and then 
it's almost like this character has so much hubris it overflows into their pet and that pet also causes them to stumble over their pride. So the last episode that we did was oh, a I'm sorry, Evan, are you not going to mention the last member of the Josie and the Pussycats gang? Wait, did I miss someone? <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, we don't see this character in the episode, oh but, gosh, okay. but bleep, Melody's fluffy pet alien with pink extremities <laughs> okay, no, that appears no, no, only no. in Josie bleep, and the no, Pussycats no. in outer space. He makes a bleep sound, thus his name, which only Melody can understand. Bleep can also generate invisible sound waves from his mouth and eyes. Did you know that all sound waves are invisible? <laughs> <laughs> do, do you not see sound waves, man? Dude, all the rest of us can see sound waves. You know I have glasses. <laughs> Set glasses, you can't see sound waves. Common. My glasses, I can't see sound <laughs> waves without my glasses. <laughs> oh, but you know what? I, I choose to believe that this crossover takes place in the Josie and the Pussycats in outer space era of the J&P uh, canon. J&P, by the way, that's going to be it from now on. You don't think bleep? No bleep? You want me to bleep that? Please. <laughs> the last episode we did of this was the Harlem Globetrotters, which I think was mm. like five five of the guys. Yeah, I think so. In this case, and so the the gang, the original gang, five characters, including Scoob. Josie and the Pussycats, Josie, Valerie, Melody, Alan, Alexander, Alexandra, Sebastian. Seven. Seven and five, twelve. There's a cast of twelve in this episode. There's and that's just this the protagonists and their pets. This, that's not even counting the, uh, the red herrings and the suspects and the apparent villain, everybody else that we have in this episode. And in the Harlem Globetrotters, you really got the sense that they've added five new characters and they can't possibly shoulder the weight of a, a sixth. And so there's kind of a lack of a clear villain or, or additional character the villain could be in the Harlem Globetrotters episode. Here I'm, we actually do have that. I'm really wondering how that works if there are always multiple villains, because in this case, there is more than one ghost before we get to them. Yeah. Uh, the captain of the ship, Captain Canopy, which I think is spelled something like if can- if you took the S out of cannabis, Captain Canopy, yeah. he's the, and I quote, skipper of this craft, and his first mate, mm-hmm. Johnny Briggs. Basically, um, they're trying to restore this vessel and sail it. Yeah, and uh, Josie and the Pussycats at first think, oh, our booking agent sent us to the wrong place. But no, they were booked to perform here to try and raise money to save the, the the ferry boat. But on top of it being broke, it's now apparently haunted. And we see the ghosts pretty early on. So here's my whole thing mm-hmm. that I was talking about earlier, like who is Mark Twain within the context of this universe. Um, they hear these chains, mm. the rattling chains, and they're like, oh, oh yeah. they don't think Marley from A Christmas Carol, <laughs> also a ghost with chains. They think, yeah. oh, didn't the villain from Tom Sawyer, and I quote, Injun Joe uh, have a manacle and then Alexandra says good grief that happened a hundred years ago so in my mind it's like is Tom Sawyer non-fiction in this world well uh, I guess let's think about it Alexandra is the one that says it now this isn't uh, Melody who's really dumb who you would think would say it as a joke um and everyone treats this ghost like it's the real ghost of Engine Joe. Here's the thing. Ghosts, if if they're if the gang is like, oh, it's a real ghost, mm. then that ghost must be the dis like the d- disembodied deceased spirit of a formerly living person. Yeah, they have to reference like they often ground it in a reality within the show. So I guess maybe you're right. But then I mean it's weird that there's a Mark Twain convention 
for stuff that he he was a documentary he was a historian he was a journalist right, right. Yeah, in this world okay you know what we cracked it he was he was never samuel clemens he was just mark no, no, twain no. He actually published as Samuel Clemens. <laughs> that actually, that was his, uh, it was something ferrymen would shout, Samuel the Clemens! And then, <laughs> then so that became his nickname. Referring to uh, how deep the water was. Exactly was, how Samuel the Clemens was. <laughs> um, uh, the thing that really trips me out is, so it is the ghost of Injun Joe, but he is joined by the ghost of Captain Scavenger, who uh, says that he is the... The meanest river pirate who ever ravaged the Mississippi. But he just looks like a fisherman. Just a straight-up fisherman. He's got, like, the fish, classic fisherman's cap, like, raincoat, and chin beard. Bushy chin beard. If he wasn't, because both he and Injun Joe are, like... And I don't like that I have to keep saying... I'm just gonna call I, him Joe. Let's just call him Joe. I, I feel also like we should be, yeah, like, saying that... Let's address that in a second, but... Uh, sorry, you were saying? They are both uh, white... Which are like, oh, they yeah. have like power ashen. ashen. Uh, so mm-hmm. if he wasn't ashen, he would be all in yellow. Uh, Rubber duck yellow, absolutely, man. He would be like the Tom Bombadil of 13 Ghosts please yellow. Please don't. Please stop referencing Tom Bombadil. <laughs> I was going to put a Tom Bombadil show note in last week's uh, epi- for last week's episode. And I was like Googling him and I was like, I don't care. <laughs> I've become what I hate most. I'm forcing my best friend to Google Tom Bombadil and making him inform the masses. And now I'm calling him I was like looking for the best piece of trivia. Like, oh, what's fun and interesting about Tom Bombadil? (laughs) (laughs) Well, here, I'll I'll take us off of that and put us back on track with my primary notes for the episode. There's a character called Engine Joe, the one takeaway they had from Tom Sawyer. So I read Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn when I was, like, quite young. Mm-hmm. And Injun Joe is the villain of Tom Sawyer. He stalks Tom and a female character whose name escapes me in the caves, which will be important later in this episode. Oh, that's right. Um, so he is... Okay, this I am going to put in the show notes. If you type Injun Joe into Google, one of the first things that comes up is um, a clip from a movie. What's it called? The Adventures of Mark Twain? Is that accurate? It would be the Adventures of Tom Sawyer. It's called the event. It's is it animated. No, it's not. Oh, hang on. There is a claymation thing. Is that what you're talking about? Okay. Yes, that's what I'm talking about. Can you t- say the name of the film? From the Adventures of Mark Twain. You're right. Okay. So can you please watch that for us really quickly on the air? Okay. Ding. Reckon I'm getting out of here. <laughs> Oh, oh gosh. I feel like I just saw, like, test footage for Pan's Labyrinth, man. <laughs> that is terrifying. That is so much more scary than anything should ever be. Anyway, I'm going to put that in the show notes. But, yeah, Injun Joe, oh, he, I guess, was just tried to kill these kids. He was a drunk. In in this clip you just showed to me, he was a straight-up demon. I assume he was a Native American stereotype uh, in the original uh, Adventures of Tom Sawyer. Movies of which I've seen, but the book of which I don't think I've ever read. Anyway, we're just basically, we're just going to call him Joe from now on. He, thankfully, in this episode, I will say up front, does not do or say anything racist. He does not. And, yeah, I guess beyond the name, that's pretty much it. They don't even have him doing uh, villainous things that are specific to uh, Native American heritage. Thankfully. I, I would say that, I guess, bare minimum, the person who is pretending to be 
the ghost of Injun Joe puts on a little bit of a voice, but it's not even that bad. Maybe, but I feel like he's allowed to. Yeah, so it's okay. You know, we'll get to that. I feel like there's the week, there will be more to unpack to come. Um, so those are our villains, and they but they pretty quickly establish themselves as here to foil plans to save the showboat. I'm going to run through a few things again. Again, I'm so, sorry to our listeners, this episode is so long. Mm. I think whenever you're going to have big casts like this, what mm. you want is you want to have, like the Avengers... Where all of where this enormous cast of character comes together, what you really treasure are the little interactions between them. My friend, you are hitting on the heart of this episode. That's by far the most interesting thing here, and that's what I'm looking forward to in the new Guess Who series when that comes out. Can we? Are we going to take a minute and call out interactions? So my favorite interaction mm. is I think it's Alan saying like, "Oh, we should post a watch," and then Melody, who like Amelia Bedelia, I'm always going to bring this up, takes things very literally. Say, "Chee." Why would you want to mail a watch? And Velma's like, he means stand guard, Melody. I love that. That was also my favorite moment of the episode. It's because that's so good. I've such... never heard Velma say anything so derisively. I know, and it's like I feel like this is showing who she is via this disconnect with Melody. Because it's not Melanie's doing anything we dislike her for, and it also makes me think Velma doesn't act this way around Daphne. They're very much like she and Daphne are more alike in comparison to Velma versus Melody. Like, it really makes you appreciate existing dynamics and reevaluate them. It's exactly what you want from these new characters coming in to give you uh, a new way to evaluate your favorites. Did you have an interaction, another interaction that you observed? It was that one. Okay. It's really Damn good. You. It's really, really good. Um, I, I do want to make just a compare. Uh, like, there's a lot of moments where uh, Alexander is interacting with members of the gang, and he's fitting right in. Like, uh, at the end of the episode, he's shoveling coal into the ferry with Fred, and they're just, like, down in the bowels working together. Um, and it feels like he's kind of... They're feel, it feels throughout the episode like the gang's... The gang and the gaggle are interwoven. For for being sort of like the cowardly, like not really disrespected member of the Josie and the Pussycats mm. crew, he really seems to mesh well with Mystery Incorporated. I think so. And I think it's that he's he's a people person, ultimately. He has so much ego. I think he likes making friends. I, I found a lot to examine about Alexander and Shaggy because they're both such cowards. Um, but Alexander masks his with some bravado. Um, so, uh, a few other, like, plot points. Uh, initially, Captain Canopy mm-hmm. is like, oh, there are no ghosts. And then later, he's like, there are ghosts. There is another scene where, like, um, I think it's Scooby who faints, so Shaggy needs to wake him up. And then the Captain Scavenger gives him uh, some smelling salts. And then later, they say it's not smelling salts. <laughs> then they come across the two. Much like the apostles in the Garden of Gethsemane. I knew it reminded me of something biblical. I knew it. I knew I could count on you to bring that home. They are passed out. The, 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 what is it? The spirit was willing, but the flesh was weak. Yeah. Uh, we, we also had a bedroom scene here, one that didn't involve Scooby and Shaggy, because everyone else was going to bed when they were passing out. The thing was that Vel- Velma picks up this little vial. It's not their fault, Fred. <laughs> <laughs> Someone got them with this vial of sleeping gas. <laughs> Velma, you didn't... That didn't seem to... Have you ever used sleeping gas before, Velma? <laughs> Man, I really hope my mic picked that up. 
I can't see without my sleeping desk. <laughs> what's this? Uh, what's this bedroom scene you're talking about? Well, everybody isn't it like everybody are in bunk beds together, but only by their group. Like we see all the pussycats group together in like stacks of tri- triple height bunk beds, and then I think no, no way. It's, it's the women and the men who were split up, right? I honestly do not recall. Uh, someone has opened up the safe, I guess, in the captain's quarters or, I don't know, the office on this boat, and stolen uh, Captain Canopy's life savings. Uh, They're being asked all these questions. They're just like, only the captain and Johnny knew the combination. Johnny was on guard. (gasps) And they took Johnny. Oh, boy. We've got our front runner for the villain. But the captain says, "I, if you're going to accuse Johnny, you can get out. It's incredible, actually. It's actually really great. Um, because at that point, I'm thinking either the captain is really a mastermind or he's get, he's choosing to let himself get duped by Johnny because he's that trusting. Like he's uh, got that Johnny has that kind of emotional hook in him. There's a letter that's left. It's like abandon the Dixie Queen. Now, Dixie Queen is the name of the vessel, the showboat, mm-hmm. or you'll never see Johnny Briggs again. And at one point, they're just like, oh, do you really trust Johnny? Yeah. Like it's it's a very soft question and one that you kind of they're obliged to ask. Yeah, and he's incensed. He's immediately like, if, if you're going to take it that way, then you can get off the boat. Uh, he needed that money to restore the ship. At this point, Lance Goodwin arrives. Can you describe Lance Goodwin for us? Lance Goodwin looks like uh, what he is. He's a gambler. I don't know if they say he's a casino owner. I think they say he's like one of the rottenest scoundrels in the in the whole Missouri, Mississippi area. Uh, but he's wears a... Uh, a tan jacket, purple shirt, black tie, white cowboy hat, mustache. Looks like a relatively thin man. I don't trust him. Uh, he wants to... And he, per- he shows up and immediately starts throwing threats. Yeah, he does. He does. So he seems happy to be... The, he seems to know he's the villain. He wants to purchase the Dixie Queen. He wants to turn it, according to the captain, into a, uh, a floating casino. Mm-hmm. Which is just like, yeah, sick. If I'm going to gamble, I want to gamble... On a riverboat. Yeah, remind me. I, I don't remember. Maybe there was something. Did, was there anything Captain and Jack wanted to do? He just wanted to restore it and I guess, again, just sail it. Have it. He just wanted a nice boat to himself. I mean, like, it clearly wasn't profitable if it went under the first time. I don't know what the the reasoning was there. I mean, one of them came on later and joined the... But I think Lance is well within his rights. So I'm just going to make me sound like a young person. But Lance Goodwin is, like, pretty sus. Like, and the reason for that is because he has this offer. He, you know, he wants to put in an offer. He's not just going to like buy it through illegal means. He wants to put in an offer for the captain to accept. So he says, discuss the offer with Johnny. If he's ever seen again. And it's like, whoa, this is like, okay, that's an admission of guilt. In my mind. There's a, there's a police officer nearby just having his lunch. He's like, ah, frick, well, I guess I gotta go now. Finally get to arrest this guy. There's no reason that wait, he no, should... No, wait, no, here's here's what happens immediately afterwards. We zoom hard in on Velma's, uh, on Daphne's face. And there are a lot of hard zoom-ins. Daphne, her eyes manage to point straight forward the same direction for once in this episode. And she, like, after a moment or two, speaks... What did he mean? What did he mean by that? It's like, oh, gosh. Daphne, I thought you were having a moment. <laughs> There's so much mystery incorporated in this is so weird to me. Because at one point, Velma's like, these can't be real ghosts. Everyone knows ghosts only hunt at night. And it's like, <laughs> does everyone? 
Uh, she uses ectoplasmic. Uh, at one point, we see that the ghosts are transparent, or one ghost is transparent, and Velma says, it must be ectoplasmic fluid or material or something like that. I don't know if you have the exact line. Uh, I think she uh, says it might be an ectoplasmic apparition. It, it I, might be, or it must be. She has so much certainty about this thing she doesn't even understand. And this also seems very out of the ordinary. Yeah. According to Daphne, there are ghost traps in the mystery machine. Whoa. And it's like, whoa, hold on. Does busting make you feel good? <laughs> like, <laughs> Well, hey, when there's something strange in her neighborhood, who's she going to call? Nobody. She's got her own traps. Uh, let's see. Um, so at this point, while the captain is gone, he, he went to the sheriff mm. to go try to get Johnny rescued. Or, or put out an APB or something to find this guy. There's a lot of intervening action that takes us to a, a secret cave. And that intervening action, I'm going to admit, is largely lost on me. It was a bit of a blur. So basically, while the captain is away, the gang is like, hey, he was going to restore this vessel. What if we restore it? Just to do a favor to for the, to this guy. They keep trying to do fit. By the way, they're really nice to the captain and Jack. Like, when they first notice the ghosts, they're like, let's not tell them. We just agreed to help them. Let's not burden them with this knowledge of this imminent threat under their roof. And here they're like, oh man, they're about to lose ownership and all this stuff. Let's mop. Uh, the captain does eventually, I think I might have said this already, is like, oh yeah, there are oh, ghosts. They do, they do uh, find Here's out, another yeah. very funny interaction. As they're trying to fix the ship, at one point... Um, they're trying to fix the gears, or I guess there are big wheels on the side. There actually aren't, but there should be. Oh yeah, because it's a riverboat. Yeah, we don't we don't really know how it works. Um, but there are these big gears, and they're trying to make them work. And um, hilariously, the ghost of Joe, just like the most casually I've ever seen, just grabs one of his chains and just like tosses it, <laughs> like underhand. You know, there is a if there is a motif in this episode, re the villains, it's that they they feel it's too easy for them to do what they're doing. You can see it on their faces. They're like, I want more of it. Like this shouldn't be this easy. It's two men. Mm. Spoilers, they're both men, and they're terrorizing ten young people and two animals. Isn't it a do- oh yeah, ten young people and two dogs, two animals? But he and and yeah, they're constantly just like behind portraits in this entire episode. The prime portrait, dude. By the way, the best portrait thing that we've had yet. Is it this one? Yeah, man. The geisha portrait thing. It's <laughs> amazing. It was a geisha. It was a southern belle. It wasn't, but I'm gonna call it a geisha thing. No, you're right. Uh, but no, it's a portrait where the the eyes are behind a fan that is lowered by an arm. Like there's so many moving parts to that. It's like a kid's book. To to go back to the gears with a chain in them. Oh yes. Um, it's so it's Fred. I think Shaggy. And Valerie. Mm. So, yeah, th- I like it. They're, they're mixing and matching this whole episode. They're mixing and matching. And so Valerie goes over and takes the chain out. Fred's like, where did it come from? Would you believe Injun Joe's manacle? Nope. <laughs> Me either. <laughs> <laughs> I think that is great. And that is something that you wouldn't really... It sounds like something that no other member of the gang would say in response to Fred, which is the joy of this kind of interaction. And also, again, Valerie is very unique, and I like that she's getting her own personality in this. Um, A few other things. Sorry, I'm talking Mm. a bunch. I apologize. Um, No, it's good. Lance Goodwin has purchased the Dixie Queen's mortgage papers from the bank. That means He comes back. He peels back like, he's doing donuts in the lot. (laughs) He's such a jerk. But then he shows like, I bought it. I got the mortgage. Like, you guys are off the hook for this, like, piece of crap that's costing you a ton of money, and I did it legally. Yeah. Please leave, or I'll call the cops. 
in a couple of days, it will legally belong to me. And Josie and the Pussycats are like, no, no, no. We're going to put on a big benefit show. We're going to make a lot of money. And then we'll buy it. I don't know how marketing works. work. I, I like that they're like, we're going to put on a big benefit show and make a lot of money. And I think I know that at this moment, Lance is like, but I'm not going to sell it to you no matter <laughs> how much money you give me. And then there's this funny, like, Velma's like, Lance Goodwin, Captain Scavenger. Is it possible? <laughs> Dude, we have a moment where it, like, fuzzes out the background. Like, we're in her mind palace. We're here. <laughs> we're, we're within the mind of Velma. It's, in some ways, I want more of this. That is my favorite takeaway from the entirety of, like, the BBC Sherlock is the concept of mind the mind palace. palaces. <laughs> it's the best takeaway you could have. They rig up the entire ship with ghost traps. Mm. Um, Captain Canopy comes back. He's caught in a ghost trap, which is like a like a big glass. Yeah, what would you call that? Like it's would... like what what's the rose is contained in in the Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. And I am looking at my notes. I don't want to put it in the corrections. This is the point where he gets really pissed when they say that it's it might be Johnny. Oh yeah. Um I'm just going to keep going. At one point, Fred very wisely says, "We're 12 mortals to one ghost. Let's get him." <laughs> Which is just like, yeah, Fred, there are 12 of you. Granted, two of you are animals, but there are so many of you. I want to say, Fred, you should think of yourself as mortal all the time, not just when you're up against a ghost. (laughs) The number of times they've been up against, like, I don't know, like, uh, crazed, rabid villagers that are all chasing them, like, down the river. And it's like, well, they're not immortal. They They could die just as easy as me. The ghost disappears, and then they come up with this idea. They They do a huddle. And they're just like, let's pretend we're leaving the ship and hide instead. So Josie's like, you win, Captain Scavenger. We're splitting. <laughs> she makes that face, too. <laughs> that face is the best part of it. <laughs> and they all cannonball into the hold. Um, the thing is that, uh, th- and I wrote in my notes the ghosts think they've won for a second. They peer out and they're just like, they're gone. We did it. We scared them away. But then, like, these dumb teens are too loud. They keep talking about their plan right next to another pipe that, like, leads to the ghosts. So the ghosts overhear their plan. And this is the part where it feels like the show starts cycling. It starts treading water a little bit because the Scooby-Doo format isn't made to last 43 minutes. So we have these uh, rapid back and forths of, of power and danger. There's this fun, I, I guess I have made note of more interactions than you did. Mm. But at one point, Alexandra says, I say we split up and split. <laughs> so that's funny because she's just, she's just like, we're surrendering. Mm. We're like getting, we're not going to solve this mystery. And also she wants dibs on Alan, which is not, that's never really explicitly done in Scooby-Doo where, where Fred is like, let's split up. And like, I really want to be with Daphne because... No, it's not made explicitly in all. And I think it, from what we've watched, it's not even something that happens all the time. That, that he coincidentally picks Daphne all the time. But it's very explicit that uh, Alexandra likes Alan and thinks Josie is a rival, which, to be frank, I think they do partly so that Josie doesn't have to voice interest in Alan. Alexandra can project it onto her so that Al, uh, Josie's a little more removed from it. I think I have some comics where they're like going steady. But oh, they definitely explore it more explicitly in the comics. I don't know if they do in the show. By the way, Alan, I think he looks like 
Fred if Fred got cast in Guardians of the Galaxy or like a Marvel movie. He looks like he he got jacked fast. Oh, one of those quick muscle programs. One of those quick muscle programs. Like he was getting a lot of money for it. They find money in the hold. There are these like bundles, packages, crates. Pallets, I would say pallets stacked with just like canvas wrapped money. Yeah, so they look like sacks, almost. If you know the uh, the big stack of money in Breaking Bad, it's like that, but like twice as high, maybe three times. So they realize that it's just full of money in this hold. Um, and then the two ghosts scoop them up in a net and put them on a little skiff and take off. And if I can just say a note on the net, I thought that was a cool moment. It was a nice turn. It was a dramatic turn because we're in this space. We're looking at all this money and stuff. And then we see the net rise around it and it pulls them up like like a Netflix cartoon. It's 90 percent cost cutting, but there's like 10 percent real fluid animation, 10 percent cowboy bebop for the 90 percent. Yeah, very cool. Scooby and Shaggy, for some reason that I did not mark down, were not with them. Yeah, I don't know what else they were doing, but they again wind up following after the gang, which is carted off uh, in a secondary boat. Or maybe it happens the other way around in the other episode. They're in a, I think they're in a rowboat. And what they're doing is they're, Josie is like Hansel and Gretel. And she's dropping bills, dollar bills. Yeah. Behind them. And Scooby and Shaggy are just like, they're like, well, even if we don't find him, like, we'll be rich. And <laughs> That was one of my favorite lines. And I don't know about you, but for me, it faded out on the commercial. It also faded out for me. Well, if we don't find him, at least we'll be rich. And I'm like, dude, that was the best. Why would you fade that? Um, eventually, they find, their, like, Josie and Fred. And anyway, everyone else is dumped into a pit in this cave, which is behind, like, a secret, like, rock. Secret passage, yet another one. And a good one. I like this kind of turn. Here's the thing. This cave is dubbed as being... And I'll quote this, Injun Joe's Cave, which again speaks to the idea that Tom Sawyer really took place in this universe. You know, I, I have to say, I think you are completely right. I, there, there's no way to deny it at this point. There's an actual cave. There's no way that's a part of even the fictional festival here. And also, like, what are they celebrating when they in, of this Tom at this Tom Sawyer festival? Like, this boy got are, away with a lot of stuff. Little House on the Prairie is nonfiction, and people love Little House on the Prairie. I actually didn't know that. <laughs> I'm going to cut that. Yeah, it's nonfiction, man. Duh. Duh. <laughs> you, think, you think everybody doesn't like know that? just like these little moments where we, spot, like, where we like, spotlight Luke's ignorance. <laughs> what? We're not spotlighting anything. Oh, I, I did miss this, actually. There is the <laughs> smallest of Scooby-Doops. It's so minor as to not really be a Scooby-Doop, if we're really being fair. I didn't even notice Scooby it. Scooby Doop. I'm just going to say it. Say it. It's Scooby and Shaggy, typically. They're creating a social, mm. creating a scenario in which the social pressures are so great, the ghost, the ghoul, the monster, forced to comply. Feel, they feel pressured to play along. In this case, it's n- barely anything. Um, uh, the captain scavengers there, and they say, man the lifeboats, man overboard. And he's like, where? Like, who's you know who's drowning and then the ca- captain has his responsibilities in life or death they get in the rowboat and they leave so that's it anyway they go in they use the crane mm. net thing to get everyone out of the pit and here's just a whole bunch of action that i found maddening do you know why i don't know why why did you find it maddening okay when they first escape fred takes the net that they use to get out 
throws it on both ghosts. It gets on top of them, and you know they're not go- real ghosts, so they can't go through it. And then everyone runs away. At another point, they bury the captain ghost in money up to his neck. Oh, dude, this part is off the hook. When that when, and then everyone runs away. And at another point, Joe runs into a puddle that comes up to his neck, and he cannot move, and then everyone runs away. They, they don't even seem to want to catch these ghosts. They've given up on the thought of it. They can, they're only thinking of survival. All they do is run away from these ghosts, and like time and time again, they have literally apprehended them. Here, can I spotlight the most nonsensical part of the chase scene? Two, two nonsensical parts of the chase scene. I apologize if you were getting to these. One, when they bury uh, one of the ghosts in money, Velma is the one who like stops him like right where he needs to be buried and then runs away. But before she runs away, she blows him a kiss. Velma. Velma blows him a kiss, which is not not to say she can't, but like it's it's not typical for her character at all. And it makes me think she's doing this to show up Melody or her Ooh, idea of Melody. I like that. Good headcanon. I uh, thank you. Um, another thing to spotlight, not as character heavy, but I loved it. Um, and, uh, Joe runs through this doorway or something and skids to a halt right before this crevice. And he, like, falls almost all the way into it, over it, but he catches himself at the other side of it. Making himself a human bridge. Making a human bridge. And you see this moment where he kind of chooses to do it because otherwise he'll fall down. So he has to grab the other side. Um, and I kind of like that. But then everyone runs across him. And again, we think he's a specter. We shouldn't be doing that, people, if we think we're going to phase through him. Just saying. I'm not saying, you're, of course, you're not going to, but you think he's going to. Everyone gets away on a raft, on like a log raft, much like Tom Sawyer, actually. So I like that the little tie-in. Um, behind them, chasing them, in a speedboat, Captain Scavenger and Joe. Oh, you're right. Uh, Fred is like, everybody get on, a, on this log, which is to say that they dismantle the raft that they're on so it is many logs and they all get on one log they lasso onto the speedboat and follow the speedboat back to uh dixie the dixie queen there is a lot that happened off screen there most of that was on screen actually actually i think that them dismantling the raft was definitely off screen yeah um and then do you want to say how they actually end up capturing the villains Oh, man, how was it even? I, I'm trying to play it out because they catch the villain so many times that I don't even remember which one took. It's not even them trying to catch the villains. Oh, the villains just run over, run overboard. They just run into the water because Scooby and Shaggy jumped into a barrel of flour and then they seemed like ghosts and the ghosts thought they were ghosts. Correct. <laughs> also, by the way, earlier on in this episode... I'm sorry, but since I just realized that the flower is what Scooby and Shaggy jumped in, they jumped in a different substance earlier on that had nothing to do with anything. Did you catch that? I don't believe so. They're trying to, like, avoid the ghost, and so they both jump into a barrel, and afterwards, like, Shaggy pokes his head out and he says, it's this greasy kid stuff or the ghost. And I swear to gosh, man, I'm not trying to find that in there. It's just, I don't know what to make of that. It's greasy kid stuff? I thought it was kid stuff. It's this greasy kid stuff or the ghost. And I can't understand it. Especially because the flower is what obviously the ghosts were actually uh, using all along. But sorry, that's just one complaint. So let's talk wrap up. 
who ultimately were our villains, Joe and Captain Scavenger. So, um, this is bonkers. It turns out that, much like episodes of A Pup Named Scooby-Doo, where the red herring turns out to be an authority figure in law enforcement? The same is true here of good old Lance Goodwin. He was a U.S. Treasury agent. Who was investigating Captain uh, Canopy for his many crimes of... Uh, well, what's the, what's the term? I was going to say money printing. Of money making. Counterfeiting? Counterfeiting, yeah. Here's the thing. They, they pull the mask off of Captain Scavenger, oh, and it's this obviously moment. Captain Canopy. And it's like, okay, it's Captain Canopy. And then they pull off another mask. Dude, I love the way they pace it out. He, he, uh, Lance Goodwin, who we now know as a Treasury agent, says, do you know who this is? And he pulls off the first mask, and Velma's like, well, it's Captain Canopy. And he's like, nope. And then he pulls off the second mask, and it's like, you just wanted to correct us the first time. <laughs> you could have easily pulled off the second mask before asking that question. Uh, and it's and then, again someone we've never seen before just like in the Harlem Globetrotters episode you were right at the very end they they were again someone we've never met or heard of not even referenced it's maddening um, so and, 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 but it turns out that Joe is also a complete stranger it's not Johnny you think it's Johnny Briggs but it's not Johnny which I liked because you immediately think two people in cahoots it's got to be Captain Canopy and Johnny. Johnny's just a regular guy who wanted to see the Dixie Queen return to her former glory. At the end, the Pussycat dolls. Nope. Nope, just the Pussycats. Just Josie and the Pussycats. <laughs> different different band. Yeah, uh, the Goo Goo Cats. Are, uh, everyone's happy is the thing. and for And I'm just like, how can everyone be happy... Oh, I guess Lance isn't going to turn it into a floating casino because he's a U.S. Treasury agent. Well, dude, at the very end, uh, the, col- the closer is Scooby and Shaggy enjoying some food on the, uh, on the showboat. And it's Lance Goodwin who says, help yourselves to whatever you guys want. It's on the house. He d- did buy the boat. <laughs> <laughs> he still owns it. Jack works for him now, which, to, to be honest, Jack wasn't, I mean, it, it fell to ruin under Jack's care. Um, can we make a note on... Uh, on Jack Canna, uh, on no wait on the uh, on the person who played Joe, he was actually a Native American. Are you kidding me, dude? Did you not catch that? I I mean I didn't look look it up. So I mean like they they unmask him and he's he's clearly he looks still Native American. Oh yeah, I I didn't I didn't catch that. I I took it to mean and the listeners feel free to debate me in the comments or whatever. I took it to mean that this is a genuinely na- Native American person who selected perhaps a villain character for himself that he felt was true to his culture he could portray. So maybe he was doing a voice, but it was a voice he was allowed to do. I mean, oh, <laughs> actually, this character was voiced by Casey yes, Kasem. Yes, he so. certainly was. <laughs> uh, retracted. <laughs> defense retracted. The defense rests, Your Honor. Objection. Okay, let's, let's do the wrap-up. When I compare this episode to the only other episode of this that we've done in the past, I like it. Because I thought that it really benefited from the various character interactions between Josie and the Pussycats and Friends and Mystery Incorporated. I'll say this in favor of the Globetrotters. I liked each of those additional characters, and I thought they were each, for the most part, bringing something unique and a lot of energy and fun. The downside is that they didn't 
seem to bring out anything unique in the Scooby-Doo gang, which, to your point, I think does happen here. Uh, we see a lot of interplay between the two, the gang and the gaggle, as I like to say. Uh, one thing that I didn't mention during it, but a character moment, was uh, everyone sitting down to have a bite to eat at some point. I guess they needed to refuel. Oh, this was very good. It was very good. And Scooby asks Melody, uh, or Shaggy asks Melody if she can pass him the chicken. Uh, she does. She holds it, like, up for Shaggy, and Scooby snatches it off the plate. For, for, to be frank, the next 10 frames of animation get more love than several minutes of this episode. Like, it's an incredibly kinetic moment. I was actually going to go a few seconds before that moment, which is to say that Shaggy's like, Hey, Melody. I'm not going to do the voice. Hey, Melody, can you pass me something? And Melody's like, it's all gone. Which is to say that Melody ate it all. And, and he's like, Melody, you've got quite the appetite. And then Shaggy's like, all right, well, pass me everything else. So I like the idea that yes. he sort of met a girl who can kind of hold her own. That's that's just good and, writing. And she does genuinely pass him everything else. And it makes sense that Melody would be the one to do that. She seems like she's the one who would be the most game for a gag like that. And it's a, it's a little different. Like, you can't really imagine Daphne or Velma doing that. It's not necessarily even that v Melody would do it, but only someone you don't really know that well. You kind of interact with that way. It's great. It's what I hope for from these kinds of episodes. And yeah, the animation is really, really uneven. It's super rough uh, in, some, in some points. And I think I chalk this up to being that Josie and the Pussycats are drawn in their own distinct style from mm. Scooby and everyone else. And at points, it's like the artists aren't sure which style they're going for. You're right. It's distinct. I mean, it's, there, there's overlap, but they are distinct. And it, it does feel like they're straining. Like, this, they have a lot of characters in this episode. I mean, even at this time, the, the voice actors must have cost quite a bit uh, to pair this up. Which is why Casey Kasem was everyone. Yeah. Oh, that's true. He was, he was doubling. Do you, think, do you think he got paid double for the two roles? You mean triple duty? I'm not going to call that last one. <laughs> Almost no two pairs of eyes point the same direction throughout this episode. They're, they're just all googly eyes. But... It was still fun, and I still do think it compares favorably to the first one. It's just a little long. Listeners, as soon as Evan and I finish recording this, we're going to start watching the next episode in the series. And in a few months when we emerge... Let me, let me try to wrap up mm. with a little bit of a voice oh. actor note on this episode. Please. Don Messick voiced Scooby-Doo, Sebastian, Captain Canopy, Jack Canna, Okay, those are the same character. And, okay, you know what? I, I have been made a fool of by this wiki. Because <laughs> it looks like Don Messick... What did you think you were in for that this wiki uh, didn't I give thought you? Don Messick voiced five distinct characters. But J Captain Canopy, Jack Canna... <laughs> four of them were the and same and one of them was the silent. The ghost of one Captain of them Scavenger are all the same. And then, hold on. Once again, made a fool of Casey Kasem voices Shaggy Rogers... Alexander Cabot III, the ghost of Injun Joe, and Jack Canna's partner. We have, there's so much here. But you know what they didn't put in this Wikia entry? Sclera color. There's no Sclera colors here because that's the era that we're at. Wow, you know what? Big ups to the person who runs the Wiki. The group talks as though the events in Mark Twain's book actually happened, and they definitely do. Wow. Another note on the Wiki. Uh, after objects and before vehicles, we have objects, a list with one item, TBA, 
I cannot wait until it's announced. <laughs> You're just waiting. I'm just waiting with for bated breath. I'm following their Twitter. To your credit, what was the name? Bleep? Bleep. Under under inconsistencies slash continuity errors no. and or goofs no. slash oddities. Which, look, that's a little bit of a mouthful. How the Josie and the Pussycats cast are inexplicably back on Earth <laughs> does raise questions. But this episode could have been set before their own spinoff. That's the that's the explicable part. That, you just explained it. It was explicable. You just proved it, buddy. <laughs> Is that a goof or an oddity? Or, you know what? For as much as we oh use his the site he moderates, we roast this dude a lot. For a guy that is functionally the silent third member of the podcast, I spend more time quoting him than I do with my own words. But still, I want to make a Scoobypedia wikia about the Wikipedia entries. Like, I would love nothing more than to go one level deeper. This is too good. Dude, we should do this for every episode. Just do deep dives in the wiki? I, I could see that. We should do a wiki spotlight sometime. We should do a wiki spotlight. That would be so much fun. Okay, dude, I, I don't know if I'm giving something away here. Um, let's, not, let's keep recording. It can't hurt for a minute. Okay. This is the same title, if you're searching The Haunted Showboat, as a Nancy Drew mystery. Did you pull that up when you were watching this, Evan? I certainly did. And it doesn't seem to have any connection, but I watched um, a few prezzies on the book. Excuse me? Because I want... You know what prezzy is? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that... Sure, yeah. And I think if you use, like, a public Prezi account, anyone can see your presentations forever and search them out. I watched three different Nancy Drew The Haunted Showboat Prezies, one of which was by Scooby. What? what? And it had nothing to do with the, sh- the show episode we just talked about. It was purely the book. What? Looked Okay, of course, you know, I'm going to look Scooby. What other Prezies have they done? Other versions of this same Prezi. That's all they've done. What are you talking about? I, do, you, do you understand what I've said so far? I'm happy to rehash it because this needs to be transmitted. Luke, speak English. <laughs> do you hear the words coming out of my mouth? Really good Eddie Murphy impression. <laughs> <laughs> it was. The Haunted Showboat Prezi Scooby brings up Nancy Drew, The Haunted Showboat, by Scooby-Doo, on November 17th, 2014. And it is straight up a, uh, a presentation about the Nancy Drew book. Also, I love... Here's what I was going to vault off it to say, and maybe it won't go in the, po- the episode. There are also a lot of prezies about Scooby-Doo, and I would love to just watch high school prezies about Scooby-Doo and talk to you about them. Could we do a, an episode on a Prezi? I think we should try and find like Scooby, yeah, Scooby Prezies maybe, or just like Scooby presentations or essays or Scooby something like that. That'd be super rad, dude. You know what I am though right now? I don't know what you are right now. Stopping recording? Hungry. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man alive. All right. Let's, Let's just call that the intro, and I'll start us out on the outro. Perfect. All right, Evan. For this outro, simple question to start us off. Do you know, or do you think you've ever heard a Josie and the Pussycat song? No. 
And I think that's because they don't have any originals. They have uh, to. From what I can tell, the album released with the animated series was all covers. Of Archie songs. Of Archie songs. Like, not even of Archie songs, just of, like, of other famous songs. It was just, like, a jukebox album. Um, compare that to Archie, which had a number one Billboard hit. Original. Doesn't really line up. And Josie and the Pussycats, this is, they do this for a living. Archie, these are high schoolers. They've got other stuff going on. Uh, that's just to, I don't know, to put down the subjects of this episode right here at the end. I feel like I wasn't ragging on them enough during... I kind of want to take this over again. No. No. This is it. This is it. No. 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 Oh man, we should form an early aughts, an early aughts all girls pop pop punk group. You and I should the two of us. What did I say? Um. Oh, hang on. You know what, Evan? I I need to. This comes out. This comes out before the episode that we just recorded, but I need to remind you to talk about Beth. That is correct. In every episode after the one that we just recorded. Is this one of those episodes? Whoa. Does this count? Whoa. Yes. It'll, it can count towards the five that you wanted to do. Correct. So, dude, you said you you always talk about me on your other podcast with Beth, Self-Evaluation, your other prod, project, project podcast. <laughs> um I don't really know what you say about me because I haven't given that a shot yet, but what do you want to say about Beth that would mirror it? Talk Beth to me. Talk Beth to me, big boy. I mean, now I don't want to. Evan, come to Beth. Why don't... I think it would be really great if she had fans. (laughs) She had real stands. Yeah, Beth heads. (laughs) All these Beth heads. (laughs) Beth heads. They say that they're just into Beth salts, but you know what that is. Oh. Yeah? Pretty good. That was good. (laughs) Breaking Beth? Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Right, I should have stopped. Yeah, it. you're right. You're First right. One. Okay, I take far. it. Um, anyway, I have another podcast called Selfie Valuation with my friend Beth. Uh, but we're done talking about that. We're now we're just going to talk about this podcast. Is that as little as you talk about me on Selfie Valuation? Is that all <laughs> I get on your other podcast? A lot more. That's more than I get. Did you say? No, it's less. It's less. I talk about you a lot. Oh shoot. Well, then you. You asked me to make you talk about Beth proportionately. So I gotta... I, it gives me no pleasure to make you talk about another friend on our podcast. But talk to me about Beth. If Beth wanted to follow us on Twitter, <laughs> which she actually does... So this doesn't apply to Beth. <laughs> She's already done this. At the Scooby Dudes. <laughs> if Beth liked us on Facebook, which she does... She would uh, like facebook.com slash Scooby Dudes. You could you could just put this in the past tense. This is what Beth did. Be like Beth. But you're, you're needlessly making a hypothetical. If Beth wanted to send us an email. <laughs> She's done this. She's done this which before. Which she hasn't. She has not emailed us. Oh, wow. She would send us an email at scoobydudespodcast mm. at gmail.com. Wow. And if Beth wanted to leave us a five-star review on iTunes, she would... Leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Because she hasn't done that. I can't remember. I don't remember either. I wouldn't put it past her, though, because she's very nice and supportive, more than I am of anyone, including myself. So, um, so be like Beth in the regard to the things that Beth did do for certain. And uh, do all those things. Visit us Facebook, Twitter, uh, Gmail, our website, scoobydudes.com. 
And above all, if I can shortcut to the big thing that Beth also does. She does, doesn't she? She does. She does, but I also do this twice. She donates money to us at patreon.com. And again, I do this too. This is important enough that I even do it myself. I'm one of our biggest donors on patreon.com. I, I almost said that you're donating twice as much as anyone else, but that's not true. You're donating twice as many times as anyone no, else. No, I'm donating twice as much as everyone else, okay? Let's not... I need to break down the semantics, man. Twice as much. Doble. Double. Times two. Two times. Patreon.com is a place where you listeners can go donate us money on a monthly basis to help not only support the podcast, and I, I know you would just do that out of the goodness of your hearts because you want this podcast to keep going and you want to show us your appreciation, but hey, you're not just doing it for that. You're also helping fund title card art that we commission originally every week for these episodes. You're helping to keep our lights on. Well, I already talked about that. And you're getting something in return. We give original content to our Patreon donors in return for their monthly donations at tiered... Um, tiers. Real good, huh? <laughs> you're, glad you, you're glad I took over the Patreon responsibilities this week? What? Why the shoulder shimmy? Why does that happen when I do bad? Why shoulder shimmy when I fail? <laughs> this is... <laughs> I feel like I've face planted at the finish line and this is you're the guy who's like supposed to be handing out water He's just like dancing over my body. <laughs> yeah, ooh, look at you. You failed <laughs> Can you imagine though? what? <laughs> That'd be so funny. It's so funny as I started describing that I'm like man I'd like that I would be that guy if that guy wasn't already there. Ah, oh, boy I think that's it. I think that's all they can do bud. I'm so glad because I'm so tired of talking <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah.